One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Why do professionals gatekeep a borderline personality disorder diagnosis? The What's Eating You podcast is a series of mental health topics that are designed to make you think, learn, educate, and validate. Enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of the What Is Eating You podcast. I'm your resident host and psychologist, Stephanie Giorgio. Now this week, this topic has got me very interested and intrigued and I decided I'm going to speak out about it because no one really is. So for those who don't know me, my name is Steph. You may know me as Mind Food Steph on social media. I'm a psychologist. I'm a border-proof supervisor, and I'm also a clinical psychology registrar. And if you're listening to this in 2024, I should be a clinical psychologist by then. I'm just waiting to get my hours. Now, I'm going to interview myself today because I am the expert on the show. So I'm going to pretend I'm going to interview myself and ask the questions you all want to know about. We're going to talk about a topic that is often misunderstood and carries a certain level of taboo or stigma. It is borderline personality disorder. Joining us today is Stephanie Giorgio, psychologist and clinical psychology registrar. She works with personality disorders, eating disorders, ADHD, and much more. Welcome, Stephanie, to the show. Thank you so much. I am so happy to be here, and I can't wait to address the elephant in the room. I'm so glad you're here too. Let's get into it. So speaking about the elephant in the room, Stephanie, why is borderline personality disorder considered so taboo in society? Well, I'm so glad you asked. BPD, borderline personality disorder, has been shrouded in stigma and misunderstanding. The reason for this is that individuals with BPD They're often portrayed to have these intense and unstable emotions, which they do, especially if left unmanaged. And I should probably clarify that the way BPD will present will look very different in someone who is quote unquote managed and someone who is not. It's been featured in a lot of movies. If you've watched Girl Interrupted, even 
Her diagnosis is stigmatized in that movie. And if you haven't watched it, go watch it. Angelina Jolie is just fab. Now, it's really hard for other people to understand the person with BPD. The key thing to look out for, if you think someone has BPD or has a personality disorder, any personality disorder is a turbulent friendship relationship history. They almost always have turbulent friendships relationships. And I'll go into why in a second. So their relationships may be marked by difficulties due to the disorder's symptoms, such as fear of abandonment and impulsive behaviors. And unfortunately, these symptoms can be misconstrued as attention-seeking or manipulative, which perpetuates the stigma surrounding it. Well, Steph, what is borderline personality disorder? Why don't you take us through that? I would love to. So a personality disorder is a pervasive pattern of difficulty across the trajectory of someone's life. It's deep and it's in their personality. Now, personality disorders typically develop around your 20s, but there is emerging evidence to suggest that you can now diagnose BPD before the age of 18. See, it was a big no-no when I was in psychology school. Oh, don't diagnose a personality disorder before 18 because the personality is still forming. But I've just read all this evidence that has blown my mind and I'm going to take you through it. Now, the easiest way to think of borderline personality disorder is essentially a disorder in your sense of self. The person with BPD doesn't quite know who they are and they often have an unstable sense of self. Now, if you don't really know who you are, it's going to affect how you feel about yourself, how you relate to others and how you behave. The easiest way to think about BPD is four areas of dysfunction. So the four areas of dysfunction or challenge include interpersonal dysfunction, which I said earlier, relationships are turbulent. And this is because people with BPD engage in what is known as splitting. Now, splitting means you put people either on a pedestal, you can have your favorite person, or you can devalue someone and put them in the timeout or the bad box or the I'm going to ice or ghost you until I feel better about what's happened. They struggle to see good and bad existing in the same person. And seeing that one person can have both types of traits. It's either they're good or they're bad, and I will treat them as such. Now, people with BPD are lovely. I've met many, many, and there's such variation in how they present. So by any means, don't think that what I talk about today is one type of presentation. There are many. Now, the reason they engage in splitting or struggle to see qualities as two existing things in one person is because of the next area of dysfunction. And this is emotional, emotional dysfunction. Their emotions go from zero to a hundred. They don't sort of have that ability to step back and think, oh my gosh, I'm really angry or I should take a break. Yeah. If left unmanaged, I'm going to talk worst case scenario. So they experience really intense emotions. And I'm talking about not the way you or I or anyone experiences anger. They have rage, rage. And to other people, this can look very intimidating, very scary, but not all people with BPD 
express their symptoms outwards. There are some people with what we call quiet BPD who internalize those symptoms into themselves and that may result in self-harm. It may result in um, inflicting that inner pain, bringing themselves down. The emotional issues that they have leads to the next area of dysfunction, which is the behavioral dysfunction, right? Now, we refer to people with BPD as the emotional burns victims. They don't feel emotions the way I just said other people typically do. You magnify it by a hundred and a thousand. Now, to try to manage these emotions, they may engage in behaviors that are extreme and impulsive. And this is why often BPD can look like ADHD because of the impulsivity and the desire to control their emotions. And so many people ask me, but how do you know the difference between BPD and ADHD? Well, people with BPD engage in extreme emotions such as, sorry, extreme behaviors because of the extreme emotions such as self-harm, drugs, alcohol, numbing out. It could be any type of dissociative response or self-soothing. And they're doing this to try to control the emotions. Whereas people with ADHD, they engage in impulsivity or high sensation seeking behavior because they're trying to meet the need of novelty and excitement. They're not trying to control their emotions with it. So back to BPD, these behaviors can lead to so many issues, harm, risk, relationship detriment, you name it. Now, We've gone through interpersonal challenges, emotional challenges, behavioral challenges. And the last one is the cognitive challenges. Now, your cognitions are your thoughts. People with BPD have very black and white thinking. It's good, it's bad. Yeah, their their thinking style tends to be quite rigid. And that's why sometimes BPD can look like ASD, but we won't open that jam jar right now. (laughs) And that is why they they struggle because their thought processes are so intrinsically different that it can lead to a lot of problems. Now, let's go through some of the signs and symptoms. I would love that, Steph. Yes, please talk about the signs and symptoms. All right. Unlike ADHD, because I know you're going to ask me, what's the difference? People with BPD have an intense fear of abandonment. They will go to extreme measures to avoid real or imagined abandonment, separation, or rejection. So that might be calling a person constantly in extreme cases. Remember, I'm talking worst case scenario, uh, stalking a person, threatening a person, threatening with self-harm or, you know, taking their life. Because of this, another sign or symptom is the pattern of unstable, intense relationships because, again, they idolize someone and then the next minute they think that person doesn't care about them. They have rapid changes in self-identity and self-image that include shifting goals and values and seeing themselves as bad or seeing other people as bad. And it's really interesting because not to generalize or stigmatize, But you often will see people with BPD with tattoos, piercings, different colored hair. They're actually quite funky and stylish. Well, a lot of the ones that I have met, they're very creative with their makeup, with how they do their hair. Um, And a lot of them are really great at social media. And the reason is because they don't really know who they are or their self-identity, 
perhaps tattoos, perhaps piercings, perhaps hair color is trying to just help them explore who they are because as a child, a lot of them never got to be themselves, which leads to the cause. Of course, there is no one cause of a disorder, but I will tell you from experience what I think the main reason is. And it is a lifetime of invalidation by a primary caregiver or someone important. They never felt safe to explore being themselves or being a child because they were in a home that was turbulent, that was filled with trauma, that was filled with self-doubt, that was filled with accusations, with shame, with potential abuse. You don't have time to find yourself. You're trying to stay alive. You're trying to not be in fight or flight all the time. So how do you have time to explore and be safe and be a child, right? They're usually trying to cater to their parents' needs and their parents are usually immature and potentially narcissistic in many cases or on drugs and alcohol. Not everyone, but most. And this isn't everyone. Remember, I'm talking worst case scenario. The other reason you might see identity or tattoos and piercings is an adaptive way to deal with the pain instead of self-harming. Tattoos and piercings can be a great way to manage that urge or deal with those impulses. There are other symptoms we may see, such as periods of stress-related paranoia. There could be contact, sorry, loss of contact with reality, such as dissociation. As mentioned, a lot of people with BPD have gone through traumatic instances and have learned to dissociate or detach. Symptoms such as impulsivity and risk-taking behavior. This could be gambling. We often see promiscuity. When they are feeling down or low, they may engage in unsafe sex, reckless driving, spending sprees, binge eating, drug abuse, and sabotaging success. They may suddenly quit a job or end a positive relationship. Now you're probably thinking, but this sounds like bipolar. Yes, it does. But the difference is BPD is very externally driven. So something usually needs to happen to trigger these moods like a boss sending you an email or telling you some feedback and then, oh my gosh, I'm quitting my job. Whereas bipolar is very brain-based. The moods aren't typically predicted by external events. They usually happen because it's a biological switch in the brain. A lot of suicidal threats, self-harm, suicide attempts when they experience separation or rejection or just wanting to end their life, the pain is too great. Wide mood swings. Now the difference again between bipolar and BPD is the mood swings. In BPD, someone can experience so many mood swings in the span of minutes, hours and days. And this can include good moods too, happiness, euphoria, irritability, shame, anxiety, whereas bipolar, the moods last a lot longer. Now, the key of BPD is ongoing feelings of emptiness. They chronically feel empty. No matter what they do, they feel this. Yep, they also have inappropriate intense anger, frequently losing temper, being sarcastic or bitter, and they may even have physical fights in extreme cases. All right, so that's about it for the symptoms. Um, What else did you want to ask me? So. Steph, the symptoms themselves, do they contribute to the misunderstanding? Yes. So people with BPD, they often experience emotion dysregulation, meaning their emotions can shift from one extreme to the other. 
Now, this unpredictability constrains relationships. And what that does is it leads to a negative perception of people with the disorder. Like, oh my God, Shelly just loses it and we don't know where we stand with her and I don't know what to do and it's making me anxious. And then also the media and the limited public awareness has added to the stigma. Like I said, many movies with BPD, well, for now, just Girl Interrupted is coming to my head, but there are other ones that I will probably go into that show that BPD is a disorder that is stigmatizing and challenging and looks awful. But Steph, that's so unfortunate. I mean, let's talk about the diagnosis. Why is it sometimes challenging for professionals to identify? I'm so glad you asked me this question. And this is why it's taboo. And I did a video on TikTok that got a lot of traction. And I said, why do professionals gatekeep a diagnosis of BPD? And I'll tell you why. Because we are told or trained or we learn that you can't tell someone they have BPD. Not exactly so much in those words, but we're taught to really tread on this lightly. And there's a lot of positive reasons for this, right? Because you don't want to misdiagnose it, right? It's a serious condition. It's a lifelong condition. You don't just want to be like, they have BPD. And it can be easy to say that if someone is Um, chronically troublesome, they have difficulty with their emotions, they use substances, et cetera. It's really easy to say BPD because it's the easy thing to say. But a diagnostic challenge is that it overlaps with so many health conditions. Even in just expressing the symptoms right now, you're probably thinking, that sounds like bipolar. That sounds like depression. That's an eating disorder. And do you know what? I guarantee people with BPD have probably received five diagnoses before they got BPD. It usually starts with anxiety and then depression and then an eating disorder and then maybe bipolar and maybe ADHD. And then it's not until things get so bad, some people end up in hospital and then they get the diagnosis slapped on them like that. Additionally, people with BPD may be reluctant to seek help due to the fear of judgment or the belief that their intense emotions are a fundamental part of their personality. I just think the word personality disorder can come as a bit of an ick. Who wants to be told their personality is a disorder, right? So I think that's why it's it's problematic. And then The other thing is we know people with BPD are sensitive to rejection. We know that their emotions are unstable. We know that they're at risk of suicidal behavior and ideation. Do you really want to tell someone who's capable of all that that they have a borderline personality disorder? Is the diagnosis more beneficial or more harmful? And this is the, I guess, challenging interplay that clinicians face when they do have this? Is it actually going to be useful to tell this person at this point in their life that you think they have BPD? So to stay safe, they'll usually say, oh, you have traits of BPD or for young people, emerging BPD. And I get it. And for some people, it's actually functional and it's actually better. So it's a really complex dynamic to unravel. But let's talk about diagnosis. 
while borderline personality disorder is challenging to diagnose and pick up, how is it actually diagnosed? Well, it takes time because like I said, it can look like many different disorders. So it can take years. Now it starts with a comprehensive assessment by a trained clinician. An assessment is your history, your risk, previous suicide attempts, drug history. It's a history you take with with any client, uh, any in the family. Is there any genetic predisposition, relationship with parents? This will tell you a lot. Um, medication, what have they been on? What have they been diagnosed before? Have they been in hospital? What are their relationships like? What is their health like? What is their relationship with food like? These are all the things I would be looking out for. Abandonment, were they abandoned? Did they experience trauma as a young person? And you do also a mental status examination, which is just a physical sort of observation, um, how they communicate, their eye contact, their speech, their memory, their judgment, all of that. If you're a psychology student, you're going to know what the MSE is. Side note, I have a workshop on this on my website. If you want to check it out, you can just click the link below for the clinic. And we use standardized criteria. So you can look at the DSM criteria, which I think is pretty awful for personality disorders. It's just complex. And we do a range of psychometric assessments. Now, a psychometric assessment is a tool that has been validated, it's reliable, and it is based in clinical data. Now, what you've all probably heard of is the PAI, the Personality Assessment Inventory. This is a good test for assessing different personality traits, but essentially it doesn't diagnose borderline personality disorder. It'll show you like different traits that may pertain to that diagnosis. So the PAI can be used to show support for a diagnosis, but it doesn't actually say, yes, this person has BPD. Whereas other clinical instruments include, now these may not be available for everyone, but typically they include the PAI, which is what I said earlier. And this is a self-report questionnaire. It's really long. The other reason clinicians are reluctant to assess and diagnose BPD is because personality assessments, you have to have a really good clinical reason to use them. You can't just be like, I'm going to do a PAI because I feel like it. It would actually be unethical to do so because they're, they're long tests. The PAI has, I believe, 300 questions and it's lengthy. You can also use the McLean screening instrument, the MSI. And what's interesting is this can go as young as 15 years old. So this whole other debate about whether we should diagnose BPD in adolescents and children, I will talk about that another time. But that one is a self-reporting screening tool. Then there's one called the Zanarini rating scale for BPD. It's a clinician rated scale that evaluates the severity and frequency of BPD symptoms. So that's a really good ongoing symptom measurement management tool for someone who has BPD. And then there's also semi-structured interviews, which are specific questions that you can ask. There's some of the tests. There are a lot of others, but again, tests are expensive. They're hard to obtain and you've got to run a report and do all this. So 
it's not something that is done really often, especially in private practice. And private practice can be more costly than uh, other types of, you know, access to therapy. So this is why a lot of people who have BPD have been diagnosed in hospital. After so many different attempts to get support and nothing works, things really get to a bad point. So I will talk about it now because we're here. The question is, should we be assessing this and diagnosing it better? Should we be doing it at all? And should we be actually considering it in young people? Because the onset usually is in the adolescent years and the research has found that BPD can be diagnosed before the age of 18. And BPD is among the most common problems seen in psychiatric practice, affecting one in five psychiatric outpatients. And the onset is between puberty and emerging adulthood. But the issue is, and here is the issue, the diagnosis is often delayed and specific treatment is rarely offered at this early stage. And clinicians and services avoid offering treatment until pressured to do so when they can no longer ignore the patient's pleas or behavior or the remonstrations of others that something must be done. Now, when treatment is finally offered, it typically occurs late in the course of the disorder when functional impairment is already there. They already have so much damage. So do we need to be more mindful of this and more honest about this if we see it emerging? Because the research shows that when intervention is done early, when they're put through programs, and I will say the treatment for BPD is long and it's tense. Yes, Steph, please tell us about the treatments. The treatment is problematic. The word is problematic because it is a lifelong condition. So I think management is a better word. However, you can get to a point where you no longer meet the criteria of BPD. So essentially, maybe you can get to that point. A lot of people have. I've seen it. Um, it's It has to be long. And the best evidence-based treatment, I shouldn't say the best because it's different for everyone, but I worked in the dialectical behavior therapy program for people with BPD. And it was a nine month program, a headspace. You had to be 25 years old max. That was the max age, but I think it was for people 18 to 25. It was a nine month program. And these uh, participants, they did group therapy twice a week and individual therapy with me once a week to help implement the skills. I can talk about that more in another app. Just let me know if you want it, but it has to be long-term treatment, minimum a year. It has to be consistent and therapy involves coaching that person individually and also in a group, if you can, on how to regulate their emotions, how to communicate interpersonally, how to use mindfulness in their daily life and how to manage their cognitive thought processes. That's the main model of DBT. It addresses those four areas of dysfunction I spoke about earlier with four core modules. But there are other types of therapy, mentalization-based therapy. Again, it's long-term. Some therapy involves families, but in order for it to be really effective, I do believe it needs to be both group and individual because group therapy is amazing and has such astronomical benefits. 
Wow, Steph, I've learned so much about BPD today. If someone thinks they have BPD, what should they do? Well, this comes a lot in my TikTok. People say, I think I have this, but I don't know. Start to speak to your therapist, open that communication and tell them, say, I'm resonating with this, I'm resonating with that and write it down. And your therapist can run a screener if they know, or they can refer you to someone else, or you can just start learning tips and tricks and strategies for what you struggle with. So first identify what you struggle with, write it down, ask if your therapist can do a screener, always go to a licensed professional. And then from there, you can go on that journey. I hope this episode has been useful. I've recorded this with no script whatsoever, and I really enjoy just freestyling. So if you enjoy the freestyle, please let me know. Now, if you enjoyed this episode, you know the drill. Leave a like, leave a rating, please leave an Apple review. It means so much to me, and I can't wait for more people to hear this podcast. As always, have a great day. And remember, whatever's eating you, make sure you address it self-care, and I'll see you in the next episode. Bye for now. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.